I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Norman Bacall. His new book is Take Charge, The Skills That Drive Professional Success. People believe that it takes something very special to make it to the top as an entrepreneur or professional. How do you go from student to young professional or startup entrepreneur to having more clients than you know how to handle? Best-selling author Norman Bacall has done it in his own career, from introverted student to one of the world's leading entertainment finance lawyers to builder of a professional firm. He then took five years to boil down the steps of success into simple, easy-to-read language. He interviewed 20 other success stories at various career stages to show that there are simple hacks to developing the core skills that will make your career blossom. Uh, Bacall is one of Canada's most prominent entertainment lawyers, and he has concluded a successful career, including leading and building an international law firm and sitting on the board of a Hollywood studio for almost 10 years. Welcome to the show, Norman. Nice to have you on. Well, Catherine, so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you're going to create a roadmap to success for us based on a lot of different kinds of things. Okay, so uh, tell us that road. <laughs> we want to become <laughs> as successful as you have become. So what do we do? Well, uh, the good news is you're talking to someone who, uh, when I began my career, uh, was the fellow who no firm wanted to hire. Like I went, I went to 11 interviews with 11 law firms and got zero offers. Uh, so, uh, all of which is to say, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And uh, it's, it began with some advice that my, uh, my, my old Uncle Harry gave me. And he said to me, and it, it turned out this was advice he was uh, delivering to me from his de- deathbed. He was dying of cancer. I went to visit him in the hospital, and he said, Norm, and it just it came completely out of la- left field. He said, think of your career as a river, and you have a choice. You can either launch your boat in the river and you'll see something on the other side and you're fighting the current to get there. And you may find out it expends all your energy and you never get there or you do get there and you find out it's not what you want. Or you steer your boat down the river and uh, look for the opportunities as they pass you by. Keep your eyes open, reach for them, always be ready. Uh, That was the path he took and uh, he was, he it was one of Montreal's uh, most famous pediatricians, uh, and uh, and and I did with that what any nineteen-year-old would do when getting advice from their wise old uncle, uh, and that is I completely ignored it. Yeah. Uh, I went to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show about five times with my buddies. But uh, what I but- discovered when I looked back, when it was time to, to sit back and 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 look back on my career, was that that advice had actually lodged somewhere in the back of my head, uh, which is why I'm bringing it forward for everyone else. And I saw that at at major inflection points in my career, uh, I was faced with opportunities. And, uh, and, and the, the one, the one major inflection point for me was understanding that at every one of those points, I was afraid. I was afraid to take a risk. It, It meant making a change or it meant deciding not to do something, and, and I might be wrong, whatever I decided. And when but Norman, I, back, I have to interrupt I, you because I'm thinking, like, okay, so this is, it sounds, you're 19 years old, Uncle Harry dying, giving you mm-hmm. this advice, and then you sort of ignored it. 
And yeah. what if we don't have an Uncle Harry? Who is our, I mean, you had Uncle Harry who gave well, you. Well, you pick, you, yeah. you pick up my book, Take Charge. And what I've done is I've boiled down his advice and the advice of so many others I received along the way. And the confirmations I got from a number of success stories uh, that I interviewed along the way. So, for example, there was one fellow I interviewed who were, who, you know, when you fly into Jamaica, I don't know if you or anybody in Iran has ever fly, flown into one of those Caribbean islands. Yes. And you see all these tin shacks with the, with the tin roofs and you wonder how can anybody sur- survive in those things in the oppressive heat? Well, that, that's where he grew up. And was, when he was 16 years old, his grandmother who was living in Toronto, brought him over. Um, he, he came literally with a shirt on his back and nothing else. And um, he went to live in uh, one of Toronto's toughest neighborhoods. But to him, he was, he was in paradise. And he, said, and he told me when I interviewed him, when, with that kind of start, I was never afraid. He is today uh, one of Toronto's leading business entrepreneurs. Um, he's leading what, uh, what is known in Canada as the Black North Initiative, which is an initiative to, uh, make sure that people of color are better represented on Canadian boards of directors. And again, a, a complete uphill battle when he took it on. And over the last course of the last five years, he's managed to gather all kinds of momentum in building it. But the point is, uh, because of his start, he never knew, he never knew fear. He started with nothing. So as a result, one of the reasons we don't make decisions is because we're afraid it's going to cost us something. We're afraid it's going to lose something. We don't know what's what's around the next turn, so we don't make decisions. And what a lot of us don't realize is that not making a decision is making a decision. Now, that applies to your career, but it also applies to your life and how you lead your life. How many people stay in bad marriages for, for much longer or abusive relationships or uh, can uh, have a circle of friends that includes one or two people who are so negative and they say to themselves, yeah, but that person's my friend. And you have, and I put friend in quotation marks because when you surround yourself with, with negative people or people who are always, you know, when, when you come in with a new initiative or, or they they say, and sometimes, sometimes it's your parents, sometimes it's your brother, sometimes it's your sister. Are you sure you want to do that? You think you're going to succeed? Look what you're giving up. And those are the kinds of things always, those are the kinds of you know, negative thoughts that are already circling in our mind that we have to quiet. And what we need to listen to uh, are, are very often little voices saying, yeah, I think I can go for it. And so what I've learned along the way, and this is, I, I suppose, point one on my journey, and it was advice that I got, got from my wife. I was... Uh, I finished my fourth year of practice. I went in for my review, and my boss told me, Norm, you seem to have all the tools you need to succeed, but there's something missing, and I can't tell you what it is. And can you imagine how that felt when your boss tells you you're missing something but can't give you any advice on how to succeed? Yeah. I mean, that can be devastating, yes. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was completely, it was, you know, in hindsight, when I look back, uh, and this is when, when I add that, and this is where Uncle Harry finally showed up again. Yeah. Uh, so I'm now about uh, 25 or 26 years old. I've just gotten that review. I'm devastated. I come home and my wife talks to me for hours on end about it. And finally, she says to me, Norm, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. She said, but you're missing 
one element. She said, I think you lack initiative. You keep waiting for your career to happen to you. You keep waiting for people to, to give you work. You're not taking charge of your life. Okay. So you don't and want you're in a position where you don't you don't want to make those choices or you're afraid to I make never, the choice. I never thought it was up to me. It just yeah. never occurred to me that my career was a, was a a product of my decisions was was a it was a difference between going to work every day and doing your job, which is what I was doing, and I thought I was doing a pretty good job of it. Like anything anybody asked me to do, I would do, and I would do a great job at it. But what I wasn't doing were the things that nobody asked me to do. I wasn't thinking about where do I want to be a year from now? Where do I want to be three years from now? How do I get there? What skills do I need to learn? What do I need to excel at? Um, when somebody, when a client calls and asks me a question, I can I can do one of two things, and these these, these are uh, these, these are some of the arts that I talk about uh, in 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 my book and take charge. And these these are things nobody's teaching you. So I I, I compile them all together. But when some when when a client asks you a question, you have a choice. You can just give them the answer, or you can pretend for a moment that you're the client, and ask yourself, okay, if I deliver that answer. What are their next three questions going to be? And then you come back prepared with those questions and with those answers. And so the, what client in your looks, the client begins want, to see you differently. Well, what about in your own background? Because I kind of want to backtrack. I mean, you say you're uh, mm-hmm. uh, describing your personality and, uh, you know, go to law school, do what you do, your work, do what you're supposed to do. But th- that's about as far as it could go for you. So in your own background growing up, where did mm-hmm. that kind of personality develop or your personality develop so that put you in that position? Well, I was always smart enough. That was never, never the issue. But the issue for me was I was always the person who preferred listening to talking. Uh, I, was, I would say I was perceived as shy. Uh, I didn't particularly like new situations or, or meeting new people. Um, I, I would, you know, I was, I was always very friendly, but I was not, you, you know, when you're sitting in this room and, and there's the, the people that we call, and I put them in quotation marks, the extroverts who walk around the room like they own it, like it's theirs. And they go around and they introduce themselves to everybody as if they're, you know, and you get the feeling when you're talking to them, they, they, they have this self-importance about them and, or this magnetism. And that was never me. I was the guy who, if you were sitting next to me at a dinner party and I was on your left, you'd be talking to the person on your right. Because after about two, two, sen- two, two sentences uh, discussion with me, I'd run out of things to say because I didn't like talking about myself. And I didn't know what to do. But I, I, I just, you know, I wasn't a great conversationalist, a, a very poor small talker. Get me small- talking about an issue that I was passionate about. That's another story. But in terms of small talk situations, I was the guy at that cocktail party, you know, the, the hangers on at the outside. So yeah. I was just, you know, smart enough, but, but going nowhere because I didn't know how to manage my personality skills. Yeah. And, and you didn't know how to connect with me. people, I would say. You had all the right. information. Right. But, uh, like one-on-one, what... once I knew you, friendships, no problem. But if I didn't know you, uh, if I didn't know you, you weren't drawn to me, and I, I, I had no idea how to draw people to me. And this was a skill I discovered. This was a skill I could learn. I mean, I discovered it the hard way. And, again, it was a piece of advice I got from my wife. If you're stuck in one of those situations, um, 
pretend you're a television interviewer. You know, pretend you're Catherine Zox and you've got a guest on your show and you walk up and you ask them all kinds of questions about themselves. And, and, she, and this is what she told me. And I thought it was, you know, it, it eventually sunk in. So the, and again, this, this ends up forming one of the backbones of, of Take Charge. Yeah. Well, you took is, charge when you married your you, wife. You, you, it sounds like you made a good choice. <laughs> Smartest decision I ever made. We've been married 45 years. Well, you did um, it. Yeah. Yeah, we I, we we did it. That that was the smartest thing I ever did. And uh, believe me, there's there's no Norman Bacall career without without Sharon. And uh, uh, Take Charge is my second book. My first was a book. It was a memoir called Breakdown, which tells my life story. And again, the, the hero of the book it actually isn't me. It's my wife. Um, but but she said, you know, the the, the person uh, who is most people are interested in, in talking about one subject, and that's themselves. So if you're stuck in a situation with somebody, just start asking them questions about themselves. Listen to their answers, and that will feed more questions and more questions and more questions. And it will buy you, uh, it, it will buy you, it can buy you an entire evening if you need it. But more important than that, and, and, and this, and the advice I'm about to give proved to be true over and over and over again. They, people would walk away from conversations with my wife who would do that to them. And they'd say, you know, Sharon, you're one of the most interesting people I've ever met. And she had told them virtually nothing about herself. But because she showed such an interest in them and their stories, she came off as being a fascinating and interesting people. I have to ask and you, what does a, Sharon do? Is she an attorney? Uh, no, no. Uh, she was a CPA for many years, uh, retired in the mid-90s, and became an artist. So she is actually... Uh, uh, a paint, uh, a portrait artist. Uh, she works in oil, uh, oil, oils, and uh, uh, and pencil drawing. She does. Uh, she's a magnificent uh, portrait and still life artist. Mm. So, and although she's doing landscapes now, quite versatile. <laughs> I was going to say she's a Renaissance woman, a CPA to an artist, a portrait artist. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, I went. I went uh, lawyer to author. Uh, and speakers. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Motivational speaker. <laughs> we're we're both exercising the other sides of our brains at this point in our lives, yeah. which is great. All right. So take us. I think one in the inter in the I guess in the intro, right? Uh, you talked about. Well, you gave us an example. One of the success stories. You interviewed a lot of people. Give us a, a couple other success stories because people like to put a face on it. Let Let's see what you know how this works when you're talking about uh, an, yeah a, an individual. Well, well, uh, well, there's one, and, and she shows up in the sequel to Take Charge, but and it's an unbelievable story. In fact, she became the lead lead story in uh, in my in my second book, which is called Never Stop, which is a sequel. And she, at 13 years old, uh, was a drug addict. All right. She, and she came from a normal middle-class background in Toronto. And at 13 years old, her, her mother and her stepfather had to throw her out uh, because she was stealing from them. Her cocaine addiction had just taken over her life and they, and they had no idea what to do. She lived on the streets of Toronto, um, which unlike, un, unlike the streets of San Francisco, if you can imagine those with, you know, with how the addicts get by, yeah. it has some pretty cold winters. And there, there wasn't always room in the shelters at night. So she said, and, and, and I asked her about it, and she is now a very successful criminal law attorney uh, based in Toronto. And she said, when you've, when you've uh, survived the streets, 
uh, and I use the term survive. She said, she, she said, I, I don't consider myself a survivor because I had to do it every single day and every single night. Uh, she said, but when you survive that, uh, fear becomes, um, becomes a meaningless concept. You know, as you're nothing, talking, I'm yeah. thinking about Janis Joplin. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And these examples yeah. you've given, yeah, of people who are in those mm-hmm. kinds of situations. So what about the, it, it, do you think if you're the average comfortable, and the word comfortable keeps coming up, middle class person who, you know, afraid to rock the boat, that it really, in some ways, it gets in your way because you are too comfortable, uh, and so you I, I think we, yeah. I think we all have to understand, particularly those of us who've grown, grown up with middle class backgrounds. I think we have to understand that what is often driving us not to make decisions <laughs> is fear, fear of the unknown. We don't want to take chances. There's a, there's a, you know, the, you, you, you've, you've seen it in, in cartoons, you know, the, you know, the, the, the two little cartoon characters, one on each shoulder, one saying, you can do it, you can do it. The other one saying, you can't, you can't, or what if. And, and those are the voices in our heads. And sometimes they're the people that surround us. And we, I, I think we just have to um, be more conscious of confronting what we're not dealing with. You know that that our that we we leave our lives, uh, and and that we we lead our lives sometimes in a way that moves us away from anything where we're afraid of being embarrassed, we're afraid of failing. We think people will be judging us if, if we don't succeed at what we try. Uh, you know, when I sat down to write my, you know, I, I I you know from that point in time when I left when I left Sharon and decided I was going to take charge, my life changed and my career took off and rather dramatically and rather quickly. But I based it on, on a philosophy that from that point on, I wasn't going to say no to things that I didn't know how to do. Instead, I was going to say, you know what, I'm going to try it. Uh, I don't mind if I fall down a few times learning how to do it. Um, but I'm just going to keep trying until I succeed. And I found out more often than not uh, that I did succeed. And more important, I found out uh, particularly once I moved into a leadership position and I had to start building, building a law firm, that my mistakes were way more important than my successes because of what I learned from them and the adjustments I made. So it's not so much your, it's not so much your brilliant decisions because ultimately I, you know, I, I kind of tried to apply the same dis, uh, discipline to my good decisions and my bad ones. And, uh, but what I discovered was um, succeeding was a function of dealing quickly with those bad decisions and not, let it, not letting them fester, not letting them ruin my life or my business. So I made, I'd make a decision. If it was a great decision, I'd make sure everybody else took credit for it because that, that, that's ultimately how you build an organization. If you're the one taking credit for everything, you, you, find out, you can turn around and find out there's nobody following you anymore. But if you're leading them from behind and pushing them all forward to be better, uh, you know, that, that was my philosophy of building, uh, which is built into all my books. Yeah, I but, think, you know, that thing, that what you hmm. just said, and I hear m- many successful people th- say exactly that, you know, their failures were m- far more important in terms of their successes. Yeah. But you said one other thing. You, ha- you have to deal with your failures quickly um, and not, I guess, not wait. So you have to 
really be aware that you have failed, I'm assuming, and not make excuses for your failures, which a lot of people do. That's not going to help you to go forward. So it seems to me that's really key to be aware. Okay, I failed. I made a mistake. I'm responsible. And then act or react quickly. Um, Yeah, react quickly, deal with it, put it behind you. And the key is put it behind you. And once you put it behind you, stop looking back and regretting. So you, you can make a mistake and for the next five years say, if only I'd not done that, I'd be there today instead of where I am. And, and I, 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 you know, one of the things that I teach and I try and train is you make a decision, you move on. You don't look back. You don't look back and you don't have regrets because you're, because, and this get, finally takes us back to Uncle Harry. You're on this river. You don't know where it's going. Uh, and, and today's failure, today's crashing failure could be the first step in your next unimaginable success. And I say that because, in, in, in the end, uh, Take Charge, which is the book, uh, spurred the TED Talk uh, that I gave uh, now uh, close to a year and a half ago. It's had, uh, I don't know, 625,000 views. And it's all about what is the process of becoming the person you can't imagine today? And it doesn't matter whether you're seven, whether you're 27, whether you're 57, because it happened to me at 57. You know, you 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 gave me a very a very beautiful uh, intro, and I appreciated that. But you know, I, I built a law firm. I had run it. It was very successful. We had two Canadian prime ministers working for me. I was sat on the board of uh, Lionsgate in its in its building years when it went from uh, obscure studio to uh, to a mini major. And at the age of 57, one year out of my, uh, after I resigned from my leadership position, my firm collapsed. All right. And I was at this point where everything that I had spent 25 years building collapsed underneath me. I was like, my whole identity was you know, Norm Bacall, leader, builder. And I turned around and suddenly it was all gone. It was like, it was, it was catastrophe. Uh, other than the fact that, thank God, nobody died. Uh, so I didn't have to deal with that, but it, I did go have to go through a mourning process and 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 fought it, fought my way through a depression that naturally followed. And of course, it was my wife who helped me deal with that. But I was literally at age fifty-seven, starting over. So I'd never written anything. Uh, if you'd asked me three years earlier, the one thing I would have told you I would never do was write a book. And I've now written five, and I'm working on my sixth. Well, I want to stop you there because I think 57, I mean, I I don't want to let that go because most people, many people, even people who would consider themselves fairly successful as they age, they get more locked into not being able to make new kinds of decisions and make changes, I guess. And and, uh, with this aging population, I guess this happens more and more. But uh, to be able to do what you did at that age I think is even more, I don't know, use the word impressive than let's say even at 30 or 40, but 57, that's, that's, that's quite well, a story. Helped me, yeah. It certainly helped me on, on the lecture tour <laughs> because <laughs> I particularly when I speak at universities and I walk in and my theme for a lot of my university tour speeches is uh, I look at them in the audience and I said, and I always start with, I used to be you, that's student sitting there in the audience listening with, you know, with the, the long socialist beard and the, and yeah. the backpack. And how did I, how could I possibly have gotten to be me? And rather than bog them down in the details of my career, uh, you know, about two, two or three minutes in, I say, and I'm going to stop right here and tell you, 
I am exactly in the same place in my process as you are now, which is struggling author, you know, unknown reputation as yet, trying to write books, learning the skills. You are, you are busy. You, I, you know, I stress really to, to everyone I speak to, you've got to gotta work on your skill set. And you never stop improving your skill set. And there's always someone to learn from, particularly with our access to online information. Like I, I took all my writing courses, for the most part, uh, through watching people online, to downloading their books and listening to their talks. I, you know, I followed, I followed very successful writers. I tried to understand what tricks they were using. Uh, I, I kept writing and rewriting and handing my work to editors who. Uh, very politely told me what I was writing was trash uh, until I figured it out. And, and, but what was going on in, in my head, it was the same thing that goes on in the heads of university students who know nothing or young professionals or entrepreneurs who are learning their businesses and making their mistakes. And you have a choice. You can look at it at age 57 or 65 or, or, or 45 and you have to make a pivot and say, I can't do this. Like, what am I going to do next? I don't have any skills other than, X, which is what I've been doing for the last 25 years. Or well, now you can you have can AI say, write your book. <laughs> I really <laughs> shouldn't that's say right. that. You but... can. You can. And, and I, tried it. I tried one paragraph with, uh, with AI. I said, uh-huh. describe a, please describe a, describe a sunset for me on Cayman Island. And what came back was beautiful. And then I said, well, I'm not going to plagiarize a computer. Uh, <laughs> it's just your but it was, editorial. But it was very, very nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I well, but we only great, you know, we only have a couple of minutes left. Uh, I hate to yeah. end the conversation, but I do want you to tell us, you know, uh, where we can um, get more information about you and the book. Uh, because take charge: the skills that drive professional success. Everybody wants to know what those are. We have a short opportunity to talk to you today, but yeah, great information. Right. Well, you can pick you can yeah. pick that up on Amazon. Uh, the the most challenging part of finding me is spelling my name right. So it's uh, Norman B A C A L, um, and uh, my so my website will have everything, including my fictions, because I've also written a, a few modernized Shakespeare mis- murder mysteries, and I'm working on a third right now. Um, but it's normanbacall.com. Simple as that to get access to everything, including my my TED talk. Or you can just Google. If you Google Norman Bacall, you'll find everything you need to know. My books are on Amazon, including Take Charge and Never Stop, which is the sequel. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm easily Googleable. <laughs> uh, if you're on, if you happen to be on LinkedIn, I have a pretty big following out there. I'm also on Facebook, uh, not a huge fan of Twitter, but, uh, but I'm, I'm easy enough to find if you want to find, uh, find out more. And the other thing I will tell you is if you contact me through my website, I will absolutely respond. I respond quickly. I will speak to anybody any time about anything. I, I right. believe I, you know, I was blessed by, blessed by God. And it's my, it's time in my life where I try and get back as much as I can. Great. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed the interview. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Catherine. I appreciate yeah. it. Too. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 